0: This is Reverend Chuck Blair. Welcome to our weekly podcast on New Church Live. So, so great to have you folks here today. And today's going to be like a, an interesting service, right? So I, I want to set it up by telling you a story. So on, uh, let me see what night, what night of the week it was. A couple nights ago, we went to a Phillies game. Now the Phillies this year are awful. We all know that, right? So... <laughs> So you go kind of to watch the other team take batting practice and uh, you get to, you got the joke. You know, and it's, it's, but it's fun. It's fun like being together. I'm there with my kids. It's wonderful. We're having a great time. And then, then I'm looking at the lady in front of me. She's there with her kid and the whole time she's on her phone and he's on his iPad. How many of us have seen or done that? You know, I, that's, ah, that's uh, I don't know, like I, it makes me feel a little uncomfortable. Because two things are true for me. I am equally fascinated and appalled by technology. I'm fascinated because New Church Live would not exist without it. We, have, we probably have more people watching us online from the shore, not that I'm jealous, but probably more people watching us online from the shore than we do seated in these seats today. And that's because technology allows that. And at the same time, I'm appalled. Now, I want to start today's service with a question for you so you get a chance to let me know what you think. So the question is this, has smartphone technology had a positive or negative impact on your life? So please go ahead and uh, and, and either talk about that with a neighbor or shoot me a text. What is that answer for you? Please go ahead. All right, folks, let me read some of these to you as as we talk about it. And I think as we read this, a lot of us can maybe identify with this picture here. Oh. A lot of us can can identify with that. So what I want to do is I want to read these to you, and then we're going to see a video called Look Up. that's hopefully going to to pull it together a bit and give give you some sense of that. Uh, You know, how's it been? Mixed impact, positive and negative, depends on what I do with it. Positive, but with drawbacks. It requires a new discipline, that's a good one. Both, it's great, but relationships have suffered. This is one I really enjoy. Positive, I get to text you, Chuck, from Chicago. Uh, Both, my heart aches when it separates family and friends' quality time. Technology has had a negative impact on my life, although I am a teenager. Pros and cons are even. Tends to steal away quality time. Positive, in touch with more people. Positive, when you don't let it negatively take over. That's good. Negative, and I'm a teenager. You get extra credit where you're sitting by mom. One of the two. Uh, uh, both. Uh, the answer is yes. So, so yeah, you see, you see where it's like these both. And so, so how do we do it? So I think it's important for us to start with understanding that technology is this great gift and there's an opportunity cost. Something to be fascinated about and at the same time to be guarded about. So I want to show you a video I think that gets that across. will start to get us thinking as we launch into this series about slowing down our lives. So please look up at this, this uh, video here on looking up.
1: I have 422 friends, yet I'm lonely. I speak to all of them every day, yet none of them really know me. The problem I have sits in the spaces between, looking into their eyes or at a name on a screen. I took a step back and opened my eyes. I looked around and realised that this media we call social is anything but. When we open our computers and it's our doors we shut... All this technology we have, it's just an illusion. Community, companionship, a sense of inclusion. Yet when you step away from this device of delusion, you awaken to see a world of confusion. A world where we're slaves to the technology we mastered. A world of self-interest, self-image, self-promotion. Where we all share our best bits, but leave out the emotion. We're at our most happy with an experience we share. But is it the same if no one is there? Be there for your friends, and they'll be there too, but no one will be if a group message will do. We edit and exaggerate, crave adulation. We pretend not to notice the social isolation. We put our words into order until our lives are glistening. We don't even know if anyone is listening. Being alone isn't the problem, let me just emphasise, if you read a book, paint a picture or do some exercise, you're being productive and present, not reserved and recluse. You're being awake and attentive and putting your time to good use. So when you're in public and you start to feel alone, put your hands behind your head, step away from the phone. You don't need to stare at your menu or at your contact list, just talk to one another, learn to coexist. I can't stand to hear the silence of a busy commuter train where no one wants to talk through the fear of looking insane. We're becoming unsocial. It no longer satisfies to engage with one another and look into someone's eyes. We're surrounded by children who, since they were born, have watched us living like robots and think it's the norm. It's not very likely you'll make world's greatest dad if you can't entertain a child without using an iPad. When I was a child, I'd never be home. Be out with my friends on our bikes, we'd roam. I'd wear holes in my trainers and graze up my knees. We'd build our own clubhouse high up in the trees. Now the park's so quiet it gives me a chill see no children outside and the swings hanging still there's no skipping no hopscotch no church and no steeple we're a generation of idiots smartphones and dumb people so look up from your phone shut down that display take in your surroundings make the most of today just one real connection is all it can take to show you the difference that being there can make be there in the moment that she gives you the look that you remember forever as when love overtook. The time she first holds your hand or first kiss your lips. The time you first disagree but still love her to bits. The time you don't have to tell hundreds of what you've just done because you want to share this moment with just this one. The time you'll sell your computer so you can buy a ring for the girl of your dreams who is now the real thing. The time you want to start a family and the moment when you first hold your little girl and get to fall in love again. The time she keeps you up at night and all you want is rest. And the time you wipe away the tears as your baby flees the nest. The time your baby girl returns with a boy for you to hold. And the time he calls you granddad and makes you feel real old. The time you've taken all you've made just by giving life attention. And how you're glad you didn't waste it by looking down at some invention. The time you hold your wife's hand, sit down beside her bed... You tell her that you love her, lay a kiss upon her head. She then whispers to you quietly, as her heart gives a final beat, that she's lucky she got stopped by that lost boy in the street. But none of these times ever happened. You never had any of this. When you're too busy looking down, you don't see the chances you miss. So look up from your phone, shut down those displays. We have a finite existence, a set number of days. Don't waste your life getting caught in the net, as when the end comes, nothing's worse than regret. I am guilty too of being part of this machine, this digital world we are heard but not seen, where we type as we talk and we read as we chat, where we spend hours together without making eye contact. So don't give in to a life where you follow the hype. Give people your love. Don't give them your like. Disconnect from the need to be heard and defined. Go out into the world, leave distractions behind. Look up from your phone, shut down that display. Stop watching this video, live life the real way.
0: That is such a phenomenal video, isn't it? And I always, I see that, and I wish I could take some sort of credit for it. I can't. <laughs> uh, that's just, that's so spot on, right? And, and, and what do we miss? Well, well, we miss some of the little moments that can be a miracle. You know, so, so we went to this baseball game. The Phillies lost. Um, that wasn't the surprise. Uh, and, and so we're walking back to the car, and we did the race game. Last one to the car is a rotten egg. Now, there was a little question. There might have been a false start on my part, but the judges are still talking about it. But, but I finished a solid second. See, and, and that, that was like the whole evening was that. It was that one moment. With my four kids laughing. As their old hobbit-like dad tried to race. See, and, and we can miss that with technology, and yet, and yet we're, we're kind of caught in this, right? We're, we're caught in this where, where we're living in a time where there's far less limits and far less guarantees. Like, like look at this congregation. The, the amount of good we could do in the world is so incredible because we can reach people all over, and they can form groups and other churches that are connected back with us. That, that's where it's just like almost breathtakingly limitless. It's beautiful. And yet we live in a time as well with less guarantees. I mean, the odds of anyone coming into the workforce today re- working for a single person, for a single company for 40 years and retiring with a gold watch are about zero. Different, different world. And so my basic assumption is if you're like me, because there's all that anxiety to it, I mean, even in the church world, like I I grew up in a church world where there were tons of guarantees, you know, you were, you sort of became a a pastor, you had a ticket the whole way through to retirement. That's not true anymore. And imagine for a lot of you, it's the same. So, So there's this anxiety and as this anxiety starts to spin in our lives, fear starts to grow. And and instead of like starting to realize, well, maybe there's something wrong with this whole wheel, we just believe that, well, I know the way to get over fear is just to make the wheel go faster and faster and faster and faster. And so if we were farmers, figuratively, I think this is what we would do. I think we are planting right to the edges of our fields, right to the very edges, we can't have any space, any downtime, any time. we're not plugged in or doing or, or whatever. We have a really hard time. So we're just, we're literally have planted our lives into the very edges. And I think sort of that's why our lives end up looking like this. We just plant and plant and plant and plant and plant, and we, we can't just have any fallow space at all. We can't have any space that isn't filled with technology somehow. But this is what we need to do. We need to maybe do this. We need to maybe say, hey, maybe I get to re Can we say that really loudly? Redecide. I want to say it one more time. Redecide. Maybe, maybe through this series, in some small way, we can give ourselves permission to re aside you know and, and this is important you know in the new church there, there's two basic paths that will get you off track one is selfishness and the other is materialism so if it becomes all about you and your stuff and this 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 accumulation wheel that keeps going we're going to get into trouble Pope Francis said the same thing As some of you know he, he offered a beautiful statement on our, our need to care for the environment this week and a really beautiful statement. I want to share with you part of the, one of the key parts of that. Christian spirituality proposes an alternative understanding of the quality of life. That's really important. We talk a lot about, in here about, about Christianity is to be an authentic alternative. That's what it's talking about. An authentic alternative understanding of the quality of life. So we measure quality of life somewhat differently. It encourages a prophetic and contemplative lifestyle. Prophetic and contemplative. One capable of deep enjoyment. I'm going to have you say the O word coming up. One capable of deep enjoyment, free of the obsession of consumption. We need to take up an ancient lesson found in different religious traditions and also in the Bible. It is the conviction that less is more. That less is more. Because I think the way God's planting looks is more like this. A little different, right? Corn's good. (laughs) I'm not saying corn isn't good. I'm not saying farming isn't good. I'm not saying industry isn't good. I'm not saying taking care of, of food needs isn't good. I'm just saying, like, let's be able to decide. Let's maybe start to look back in the Bible and figure those pieces out. As the band comes out for the Bucket Song, I ask you to, you know, think about that for a minute. Like, what, is, what could this mean for you? What, 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 is, what is this all about? Like, where can we have the power to redecide? Listen carefully. The power to actually fundamentally re versus, at least if you're like me, the decisions I keep on making, and the only redeciding I'm making these days is how to get faster and faster. I think maybe there needs to be a redeciding in here around something very different, more fundamental, more significant, and one that I actually believe that God is pointing us towards for our own happiness. So we can live those lives where there actually is a different definition of quality of life, and it's one that is much, much richer. So that that idea, like, getting to slow down, like, how do we actually do it? Well, here's the amazing part, is that that the Bible has so much to say about slowing down. You know, these commands that God has about about the need to slow down, that the need is we're going to be looking at to actually take less. And in taking less, learns that we can live more. I imagine I'm going to share this sentiment with you, and some of you are going to be going, yeah, that's me. You know, I was in our our small group a couple weeks ago. We were talking about kind of fears we're carrying into summer. You know what one of my biggest fears is? This is crazy. This is crazy. One of my biggest fears, it's not clowns. It's vacation. I'm afraid of vacation. I'm afraid that that I'll I'll take time off. And I I know we have wonderful preachers like Dave who can do the job. And I'm just afraid, though, that I'm going to miss something. I'm going to miss a phone call or I'm going to miss a connection or I'm going to miss this or I'm going to miss that. So it makes it very hard to sort of like breathe. Decompress. Does anyone else ever feel that way? You know, it's a little afraid of vacation. You know, and, and I, I know I'll love it, but, but, I, but I also know like I, I need to somehow try to see things differently because that's not really going to work. And it's certainly not going to work in the long term. So what we're going to be looking at is we're going to be looking at, at, at over this series, these ancient, ancient, like we're talking three or 4,000 year old spiritual practices that dealt with farming of all things and saying, okay, well, well th- there was reasons behind that. Yeah, like, I don't, we don't have any farmers here, do we? All right, so, so it, it's, it's not that we have farmers here, but, but there's a truth underneath some of these agricultural practices that I think really speak to what we need to be looking at in our lives today. Now, the first practice we're gonna look at is one called gleaning, gleaning. Let's all say that together. Gleaning. And we're not talking about reading and gleaning something from what you're reading. We're talking about the agricultural practice of it. And this comes from, if you're if you're looking at a Bible and you're following along with us with a Bible, this comes from Leviticus. And here's the beautiful line that it talks about here. And it's talking about, this is Moses, who we just finished up a series on, and this is Moses as they're about to go into the promised land. And he's saying, as you go into the promised land, you're gonna have really great farms, but this is what you have to keep in mind. This is one of the rules God is giving you. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges. Remember we talked about how we plant our fields to the very edges? This is the antithesis of that. Do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. So what that meant is that you didn't pick up anything that had fallen or any fruit that was unripe. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God incredibly powerful piece. Like, like, just imagine this, folks. Like, in Vineyard here, like very often, God talks about Vineyard and he's, he's talking very poetically about the church as a whole. And, and it's about going through and you get to sort of get one pick. You get the first pick. You get to pick everything you want going through once. But you have to leave something. You have to consistently leave something behind. And that's what I want to talk about. I talk about like, well, what does that actually mean to leave something behind? That's intriguing, right? You know, I imagine that sort of tickles our fancy a little bit. Yeah, what does it mean to leave something behind? Well, the first part is that what he's saying here is he is saying like, yes, you do need to plant and harvest. This is about reaping. This is about when you're bringing in the crops. So it's not about pacifism. It's not about doing nothing in your life. You know, just sort of waiting for something. It's about, no, I, I, do, I do my bet. But then when it comes time to collect my bit, so to speak, to harvest, I don't take it all. And this may be why that's so significant here. I think what he's saying is plant, tend, harvest, and slow down, number one, slow down and don't pack your life to the edges. So don't don't fill everything up. You know, How many of us in here have been to Walt Disney World? How many of us spent a lot of money at Walt Disney World? Does that complicate the vacation a little bit? You know, I know when we went a couple of years ago, you know, we'd, we'd saved for a couple of years to do this. And I, I wanted it, both my wife and I just wanted it packed so we had like schedules. So we made sure that we saw everything because we had spent so much money. Does that sound does that ring true for some of you? You know, where, where, we, where we, even vacation time, we tend to pack with everything because heaven forbid we just sit. The second one, simply take less. As you go through, simply take less, and that's connected to this one, leave something behind. That idea that we're not supposed to go through life like a vacuum cleaner. Hooverizing, that's a new word I just made up. Hooverizing everything, like sucking it all in, all in, all in. We're not supposed to do that. We're supposed to find a different rhythm. And what about this one? Don't obsess over what you missed. Don't obsess about what you missed. I would bet you a large number of in you in here have a story around this one. The stock you didn't buy, the house you didn't buy, the job you didn't take, the business adventure, like, you know, I don't know, you knew Bill Gates in college and then he offered you half of Microsoft and you said no. I don't know what it was for you, but I bet you a lot of you have it, right? Yeah, honey, you know, if we'd, only, if we'd only done that, we'd be on easy street today. A lot of us have those stories where we obsess over these parts of the crop that somehow we didn't grab. Let go of that obsession. And last, I'm going to have you say the G word there, really important. I think the call here, we have a lot of do nots, but here's the call, here's the do. Do. Live as if life was a yes. gift. Let's say that again, really loud. Live as if life was a yes. gift, not a possession. It's this, this is subtle, this is subtle. And again, I'm not all that articulate, so I'm probably going to stumble a little bit here. Gift and possession. If, if, if I view that field and I, and I walk up to the edge of my life and I see this great bounty in front of me and I go like, oh, what a gift. What a gift. Like, like thank you, God. I mean, this, this morning I was working with a wonderful couple, not to name names, Amy and Adam, and, uh, and, and we were talking about like a prayer cycle that always starts with gratitude. Like, like you just come into it versus gratitude. Versus coming into it and thinking, all mine. Possession. How do I pick every little? How do I plant to the very edges? And then how do I go through and pick every last little piece out of it? Very different. Gifts. We see it as a gift. Not so worried about fences. We see it all as a possession. No fence can be high enough. Here, not much a consideration about fences. It's about sharing, connecting. Here, no fence can be high enough. That idea of a gift versus a possession, which I think is incredibly important. Now, I want to talk about, you know, know, how that might look in in a very practical way and and ways I think that we can look at this both in terms of real practical pieces as well as like with technology and, and leaving some pieces behind. I'm going to be shifting over here to my, I want you to pretend you're going to Starbucks with me, okay? So we're going to drive over here to Starbucks. In a, in a, you know a couple of things about Starbucks dealing with this principle about not taking it all. Does anybody know? And you can shout this out. You know what Starbucks offers two benefits to its employees that are simply fascinating. Does anybody know what those two benefits are for a Starbucks? You work 20 hours there. What, do you, what are two benefits you get? Health insurance. What's the other one? College. Do you know that they, they partnered with Arizona State? So these two things, right? So. So they actually spend more on health insurance than they do on their coffee, believe it or not. And I I watched a story once about the man who who started Starbucks, and this this health insurance thing goes back a long way for him. He'd been born and raised in New York City. His dad was a diapery delivery man. So he's stepping off the truck one day, He, he, he missteps, shatters his leg, there's no such thing as unemployment insurance at that time, the family ends up destitute. So he made sure, and I've, I've talked about this in church before because I think it's so significant. He made a commitment that all my employees will have insurance. And, and then the college thing, that was just last year that he announced that. This is a simple yes, no answer. Could he make more money if he didn't offer health insurance and college to his employees? Yes or no? Yes, yes he could make a lot more money. He could cover our $11,000. $11,000. You know, it's, 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 it's amazing to think, right, that here's somebody who clearly left stuff on the table. And that's why, not all that often, but that's why I do go to Starbucks and willingly play. I don't know, what is it for a glass of coffee now, $35 or something? You know, I'll, I'll fork it right over. And I feel like, bless you. Bless you. Doing good and good business practices, going together in a way that's just amazing. Shifting gears here, too, to how, how we can do that. You know, I, I think there's lots of places financially in our life where, where we can just leave a little more at the table. You know, yesterday I was at a, at a diner over in Hatboro, and, you know, I, I, I had a, a wedding yesterday. I, I got a nice tip, so I said, hey, pay, pay for that lady's breakfast. Just don't tell her I did it. Hope she's not here today. So, you know, you can do stuff like that. It is okay. Just leaving a little bit more behind. And with technology, folks, you know, I've seen this happen over and over again. I mean, imagine you're at Starbucks, right? And you're talking to your friend. And what they do is that they they set out their cell phone between you and them. And the cell phone rings. And they go like, just just a minute. Do you you mind? Do you mind? Now, of course, when they ask, do you mind? What are you going to say? No. Of course, you're thinking like, you jerk. Not really. You're not thinking, well, you might think you're. So, you know, we of course say, no, no, no problem. Take the call, take the call. And there are times, right, where if somebody has a medical emergency or they, or they have somebody in their life that they know they need to be in touch with because of a medical condition, because of, a, of a, something catastrophic, clearly, I mean, there are times where I have to keep my phone that way. But not all the time. That's the key. And, and, and instead, can we just simply turn off our phone? I think that's a form of gleaning, actually. That I don't need to pick up every message. I don't need to pick up every communication. I can actually step away a bit and allow there to be stuff that is undone. And that that somehow will be okay. A simple, a simple, simple one, folks. Recharge your phone in a different room than where you live. Simple form of gleaning simple way to slow down your life and try to create a rhythm that's actually more doable. These pieces, folks, are are critical because I think they start to get to the message of what God really has intended for us. And and it's interesting when you look at New Church Theology. There's a piece of New Church Theology that talks about if you take all your crops, like if if you grab everything and are always taking everything, What what Emanuel Swedenborg says is then you no longer have anything of spiritual life. Wow. Let me say that again. You no longer have anything of spiritual life. So if you go through your life and you're into clear-cutting, you're not going to be able to find a spiritual life that way. There's something about this practice of slowing down that allows our spiritual life to come alive. Now, I want to tell you a story here that I think pulls the message down to how critical it was. You know, when, when, when Christ has these disciples, and for those of you who aren't aware of the story, you know, Christ gathered 12 people around. Those were called the 12 disciples. And they were sort of itinerant preachers. In other words, they run around to town to town, preaching, healing, doing a lot of different things. These men were not wealthy by any stretch of the imagination. They were literally living hand to mouth. So, a day comes, a day arrives, and, and they're, they're out, they're walking past a field, and it's the Sabbath. The Sabbath in the Jewish tradition was Saturday. It was a day where you were to do nothing. Like, if you towed the line, you were to do nothing. Now, that's, that is a real important principle, and Dave's gonna be talking about that in a couple of weeks. That's a real, because I'm not gonna be afraid of vacation this year. Uh, That, it's a real important principle, right? But, but these clerics were actually misusing the principle. So it's the Sabbath. They're not supposed to be doing anything, but these, these men, they're, they're hungry. I mean, one could imagine maybe even starving. So there's a story in the Bible where they go through a, a, a plot and they're picking up, they're gleaning, they're, they're grabbing what the farmer has left behind. I'm gonna talk about that farmer in a minute, but I just want you to sit with that moment. You know, you can, and you can imagine Christ, you know, I, I sort of picture Christ sitting on the edge of the field going, this farmer gets it. Give him an extra credit mark. Good job. The clerics, they don't get it. All they see is some simple violation of the rules, quote unquote. So they haul Jesus and his disciples in and they're like, look, you guys were doing stuff on the Sabbath. You know, that is absolutely wrong. How can you be doing it? Because towing the line to them was following the law of the Sabbath. And this is what Christ offers them. I mean, just folks, like, like this is beautiful. Don't let this, if this just slides off your head... Please, you know, I would take a picture of it. I repeat it a hundred times. I mean, this is beautiful scripture here. This is Christ saying, if you, the Pharisees, had known what these words mean. I'm going to have you say the N word. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the innocent. That's beautiful. Picture it this way, folks. Like here are these clerics and they're saying, well, you know what, towing the line is, is towing the line is like it says in the book here, you will do nothing on the Sabbath. So we are auditing you. We're going to audit. And I'm going to take notes and I'm going to observe. And the second you step out of line, I'm going to slam you. I'm going to slam you. And here's Christ going like, dude, you want to know what towing the line is? What's that M word again? Towing the line is mercy. That's towing the line. That is towing the line. And I think of Christ saying that, you know, again, with this farmer in mind, where he's saying like, look, this person got it. They got it. And and, and Christ in this non-shaming sort of way goes like, "I, I get that you may think I'm looking for towing the line being these sacrificial pieces. You know, with following the rules, just so. But what I'm asking for is I'm asking for mercy. Um, so I want to take a risk. Sometimes I do this. I want to take a risk today in, in, in talking about something in, in line with this that I think I think is important, right? And as, as a pastor, I could pass over this at a million miles an hour. I don't, I don't really want to. And, and I realize that I'm saying this, and I'm nervous about saying it. I so want to own that. You know, we had a major Supreme Court decision this week, right? And, and you know, how, how do we handle it? And this is, this is the challenge, I think, right? There's good people on both sides of that debate. Good people. And even in bringing it up, I'm sure in your mind, is like, well, which side is Chuck on if you're like me <laughs> and you want to make teams up? I'd ask us just for a minute just to suspend the idea that there are teams and instead embrace the idea that there are people. Just embrace that idea. The challenge is that, that, that I've seen as a pastor is this. We, the, the reaction that some people have had to this court decision, um, to call it, overblown or, or mean would be, would be an understatement. I was reading through Father James Martin's stuff and, and you know all he did was he posted an article on the Supreme Court decision and dialogue around it and, and the comments were just, oh my goodness. Have any of us seen those kind of comments? That's what we can't become. That's what we can't become. I believe a church's job is to be a place to have this dialogue, to, to look at God's word, a, a place to, to, to find places where, yes, I can see this position and I can see this position, and, 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 and come let us reason together. Let us be in that place. I think that's a very beautiful place to be. And I think it's Christ constantly calling us to this third way, I want to say it as poignantly as I can. Let's let mercy reign. Let's let mercy be what we're known for. A gentle kindness. A willingness to converse. We're all connected. We just don't always know it. And there's nothing for me that makes me feel more disconnected when I when I when you just you see parties going to war over this issue and there's so many issues not that this one isn't important but there's so many issues for us to work on in this world. Let's focus there. Let's be that church of mercy. Let's find ways in this world to take less. Let's do this, folks. Let's do this. Maybe let's decide. To redecide. A third way. An authentic alternative. A real embracing. Not of Christianity as theory, but Christianity is our very life blood. I get an amen? Let's just think about that. So are we ready for the week ahead? So take a little less this week. Leave the cell phone away somewhere. If you want to talk about the decision with someone, do it from a sense of mercy and love and kindness, and just have a great week. God bless everybody. I'd ask you now to please join me in a prayer as we close today's service. Lord, thank you for bringing us here together today. And Lord, please allow us in our hearts to allow that very message of mercy to soak through into our souls. Allow us, Lord, to to, to hold our lives as, as very examples of mercy and kindness. Allow us, Lord, as well to find ways to be kinder to our earth, to our planet. Finding ways to maybe take less. To take less from the earth. To leave more behind for those in need. To allow us, Lord, then to see life as this, as the beautiful gift which it is, not something we possess, but something that we are asked to allow to flow through us in this very short time in this very short time that we have on this earth bless your presence here among us today Lord thank you for this amazing congregation grateful Lord for all they bring allow us to go forward with a message of your love your life in your way